Peter Wall. And I'm Jennifer Carnegie. Welcome to the Amicus Leadership Podcast. On each episode, we'll be speaking to inspiring leaders about the ups and downs of their careers. As well as doing what we do best, using our years of leadership experience in both the military and commercial business to get leaders to the top of their game. You can listen to each new podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So subscribe now to make sure you don't miss any of our conversations. Okay, let's get going. So hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Amicus Leadership Podcast. And today we have with us Mr. Andre Pinar, who's a renowned entrepreneur and venture capitalist. Uh, it started off uh, his life with a huge interest in strategy, reading a master's at um, Aberystwyth, now runs C5 Capital, which specializes in investing in companies that deal with commercial cyber defense and also work in space. He's passionate about this. He sees it as part of dealing with the challenge from uh, aggressive nations who want to get into our cyber systems. And uh, this, is, this talk is titled Building for the Future, which is what Andre is all about. So welcome, Andre. Hi, Andre. Great to be chatting to you today. It's a great pleasure for me to be on this podcast. And um, you, um, you were kind enough, kind enough to give the John Garnett uh, strategy lecture at Crucy a few years ago. And there are very few leaders who can think strategically and globally. And, um, and your lecture was a complete tour de force on, on, both, on both these issues. So great pleasure to be part of um, the Amicus podcast. And thank you for what you and Jennifer are doing to help build leadership at a, at a critical time um, in our country and in the world as we grapple with uh, combating this pandemic, but also with regenerating our economies as a result of the pandemic. Well, Andre, it's very kind of you to say that about the talk at RUSI. It was, of course, a privilege to be involved, um, particularly with such an esteemed audience. In the case of uh, your current work with C5, uh, could you tell us about the focus of C5 Capital, what you're driving for, and what you expect of your people? So we, we, we created uh, C5 about seven years ago as a specialist venture capital firm to specifically invest into fast-growing cybersecurity companies. And since the launch of C5, we've expanded our areas of investment focus to include space um, and energy. And uh, the reason why we got to space and energy is because both these two areas are very closely linked to the digital transformation that's taking place at the moment. And that's really at the heart of the cybersecurity challenges that we face in the world at the moment. One of the fun things about um, venture capital is that you can really look towards the future and you need to have a window on what the world of the future would look like. Um, General Hal Moore uh, in his book on leadership said that leaders have to help build the future, have to help create the future. And in C5, that's what we are trying to do. We are investing to help build and create a more secure future for future generations for our children. 
And, you know, we're lucky to have witnessed some of that uh, at close hand, and it's hugely impressive. Andre, you have got a, a really good track record in um, entrepreneurialism and working with entrepreneurs and bringing entrepreneurs along. How do you generate entrepreneurial drive and innovation? I think um, entrepreneurialism is is one of the most important secret sources of our uh, Western economies. Um, and it's a very important ingredient of our national economies. Um, entrepreneurialism at its heart have people are, who are willing to operate in highly uncertain circumstances um, because they're bringing either a new product or a new service to the marketplace and who are willing to take very significant personal risks, financial risks, perhaps sometimes reputational risks um, in doing so. And to grow our economies and to um, continue to scale the innovation that's essential for the growth of our economies, and we need people of that ilk and, of, and who have those characteristics and attributes. But entrepreneurs come from all walks of life and one of the exceptional things that we've seen over the last few years in particular is that more and more people who've served in government, who's done public service, who've served the nation, at the end of their career decide to become entrepreneurs. And um, having dealt with uh, some of those challenges of ambiguity and uncertainty during the course of their government careers, particularly in the context of national security, are now well, willing to to give back um, and to continue the mission by um, becoming private sector entrepreneurs. And I think someone like General Keith Alexander, who founded um, INET Cybersecurity as a four-star general, has become an entrepreneur, is a very good example. Um, Dr. Alison Ann Williams, one of our other founder partners who founded a company called Envale, who was one of the leading mathematicians in the National Security Agency is another very good example. And um, inside our firm, um, someone like Sir Ian Lobin, who led GCHQ, is another very good example. So these are people who've, who've led lives of service, done extensive public service, and who've decided to become entrepreneurs at the end of their government service. And I think this is, this, is, this is a phenomenon of the last few years. It's in part because people sometimes leave government service earlier uh, or because at the end of their service, they still have an enormous amount of energy and motivation and, and they're willing to give back and do more. That's really interesting because I think people can be forgiven for thinking that entrepreneurialism is a young person's game. And, you know, it's certainly something that you you see, um, you know, people in their late teens, early 20s in their jeans and T-shirts, you know, hanging around creating new and fantastic stuff. But you're saying actually some of the best examples of entrepreneurialism is coming out from people towards the, the, the latter end of their careers. Is, is it, I mean, you said in the last few years, is that a new thing or has it always been like that? We just have, have got a, the wrong perception of it. I think there is this association, um, there's this perception of youth being associated with entrepreneurialism. In reality, across the board, the average age of entrepreneurs are probably in the late 40s and the early 50s. Um, I think that's always been like that. I think what is new is that people who've served in government and who's done public service, who served their nations, who served their countries, uh, are willing to um, 
to become entrepreneurs at the end of their careers and, and to give back. And I think that's something that I've seen happen, I would say, over the last decade. I think that's a very exciting development because to solve the problems, the big problems of the future, to solve some of the current problems that we have, um, that our economies and our countries have to cope with, we need people with experience um, and sometimes experience that were obtained in a, in a classified environment. And we need people who've built leadership skills in, in difficult and sometimes in adversarial circumstances. And we also need people um, who are able to, to work with government and build public and private partnerships. Um, I think all the big problems of the 21st century really require public-private partnerships and international alliances and international partnerships to solve them. The pandemic is one example, biosecurity, um, closely re related to that. Cybersecurity is another example. So many of these entrepreneurs who come out of government have an ability to understand the way government works and therefore has an exceptional ability to help build these public-private partnerships that we need to, to solve some of our most pressing problems. And do you think that leadership is important for these businesses to be successful or is it more about the ideas that people have that make them successful? I think everything turns on leadership. Um, in, in the technology sector in which we invest, um, having innovative products, very, very important people with big ideas, exciting ideas, very, very important. But there's nothing can be done without leadership. And ultimately, um, being an entrepreneur is being a certain kind of leader. A leader who can operate in an environment of uncertainty a leader who wants to help bring about change, um, but also a leader who can scale and grow by um, building relationships with people. And if you think about the kinds of relationships an entrepreneur has to build, entrepreneur has to, has to scale his or her own team, and most of the companies we invest in really grow through people, and they might double their headcount um, during the term of our investment. Um, you need to be able to build relationships with your customers. Without customers, you're not in business. And then you need to be able to build relationships with your investors um, and increasingly also with regulators and with other stakeholders in society. So um, leadership is at the heart of entrepreneurialism and to be able to um, create more entrepreneurs to be able to encourage more entrepreneurs, to be able to enable more entrepreneurs in our economy, we have to constantly work at leadership. And that's why I think your podcast is so terrific because um, as General Mattis always says, um, very few of us really have such a broad experience that we can learn everything we need to from our own direct experience. And that's why we need other people's examples and that's why we need to have conversations like this one about leadership because that helps all of us to broaden our horizon and broaden our frame of thinking when we think about the leadership problems we have to solve. So you've, you've well, that's a, that's a very kind thought on your part. And of course, we're all passionate about this. And you've talked about how um, people have come out of public service and perhaps other walks of life to almost embark on a second career as entrepreneurs. But we have to accept that an awful lot of entrepreneurs, and hopefully some of the ones listening to this podcast, are actually at the uh, beginning of their first careers, perhaps, or early on in those anyway. And um, there's a, they'd love to hear from you about 
um, how they can generate the sort of leadership skills that come sort of almost ready cooked when you take someone who's more mature, but they're trying to grapple with all the challenges of setting up a new business, burning cash, managing investors, managing clients, growing their own people, and trying to learn leadership on the job. What do you think about that? Well, that, that's um, a very good summary of many of the challenges of a, of, a, of a young entrepreneur. I think the most important thing is to get going. Um, you, you, you've got to get out of this off the sofa and you've got to get going and try things. Um, human intelligence is based on learning from mistakes. Um, and so when you make a mistake, that's not a disaster. That's a learning moment. And, and the key thing is to have an open mind that you learn from your mistakes and that you see your mistakes as part of your learning process and understand that humans learn through mistakes by making mistakes. So, so getting going and learning from your mistakes is, is, is something very important. Then secondly, to constantly surround yourself with good people. Um, the biggest disaster for an entrepreneur is taking on board someone who is not a good person, who, is, who do not have good values or who has a toxic personality. Um, that can do more damage than, um, than selecting someone who's very talented, uh, can do good for your business. So make sure consistently that you are always just picking good people and take your time to evaluate the people that you hire or that you bring onto your board, that you consider as investors, um, get someone else's that perspective that you trust on those people. And then thirdly, um, um, find mentors, people that you look up to who would be willing to share their experience with you, with whom you can soundboard ideas and problems and who can give you good advice. And then um, an old-fashioned thing to say, read as much as you can. Um, <laughs> don't just, um, don't just um, focus on your, your iPhone and your digital content, but actually go to books. And there's just a, a wealth of great books written about entrepreneurial leadership and business leadership today. So read as much as you can and, and follow people. You may not even have direct access to them, but, but many leaders today are willing to talk about their leadership principles openly. I'm thinking about someone like Ray Dalio at Bridgewater or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. Um, read what they say about leadership and follow them closely. That's a, that's a, a tremendous checklist for somebody who uh, is you know, learning how to lead whilst doing all this other stuff. Uh, it does, of course, call for quite a lot of courage, doesn't it, to be prepared to get off the sofa, as you say, put yourself out there um, and be prepared to make mistakes or put yourself in a situation where mistakes happen such yeah. that you can then leverage the benefit. And uh, I guess that's, that's part of the character of an entrepreneur. They're not scared to have a go. Um, I think the point about hiring good people is so obviously uh, true and accurate, but actually, and, and it's conceptually quite easy, um, but it's not uh, always uh, an easy one to get right, is it? It's, it's one of the toughest things to get right. And, and just like you're going to make mistakes with everything else, you are highly likely to make mistakes with, with people too. And they're the best advice I can give. Um, and speaking from my own experience and having made many mistakes myself, is um, to try and face up to those mistakes as quickly as possible. Um, if there's someone who's, who's not right on your team, deal with it quickly. Um, 
and um, and fairly and um, but deal with it. Yeah, there's there's plenty of very public examples at the moment in the sort of COVID scenarios and the vaccination scenarios in Europe where uh, it's not immediately obvious that people have got your message about uh, owning up quickly and moving on and learning the lesson, which is a great shame because uh, they're not great role models for the types of leaders we want to be growing amongst the younger generations. It's so true, though. Um, you know, you, you get circumstances where you find as a leader in an organization or on the exco or on the management team that you identify that someone in your organization is not performing as you would like. And then you realize that you're the last person to know. Everybody that's worked for that person for the last three months knows that they, they weren't particularly good at what they were doing. So it's it's so important to stay in touch with the, the organization. Andre, you you are South African. You live and work um, a lot in America. You've got offices and interests all over Europe, all over the world, and and you're you're working actively around the world. Does leadership, in particular entrepreneurial leadership, does it differ around the world? So I I had the the good fortune of being born in South Africa and Africa, and then um, uh, came to Britain in my 20s and have been um, a British citizen since. Um, and I very much think of myself as being being British and look at the world from a from a British point of view, but with the benefit of my African childhood um, and having seen South Africa go through a tremendous period of change during my childhood, um, having seen Nelson Mandela's leadership firsthand as part of that um, experience, um, and having spent time in Africa and in Europe, in Asia. Um, and in North America, um, I think um, people's expectations about leaders may, may in some cases vary around the world, but I think leadership at its heart remains the same. Uh, leadership is about influence and having followers. And I think leaders can do a great deal of good or a great deal of bad. Um, and um, it's never been more important, but I think one of the key challenges of leadership for the 21st century is dealing with diversity. Um, Secretary George Schultz, who's, who's 101 years old, I think this year, or 100 years old, I've lost track, gave a lecture that I attended um, a year ago, and he said the number one leadership challenge for the 21st century is governing diversity and dealing with diversity and recognizing that diversity is, um, is an essential part of, of our life in the 21st century. and creating a leadership style that's inclusive. And I think that's a challenge that leaders have all over the world, whether it's, uh, whether it's the, the president of Kenya or the Democratic Republic of the Congo, or whether it's the prime minister in Britain or President Biden here in the US. The key is developing a leadership style that's inclusive, that reaches out to everybody, uh, and that gives everyone an opportunity in their society to create a better future for their children. Fantastic. You have just launched a new space business. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we've invested in Axiom Space, which is um, um, a US company that has won a contract from NASA to build the successor to the International Space Station. This will be the first commercial space station, which is at the heart of the low Earth orbit economy. 
space sector is one of the most exciting sectors of growth in the global economy today. This is going to be a trillion dollar um, economy and one of the fastest areas of growth that we're going to have in the global economy. And this economy has opened up for, because of a whole range of factors. Um, one is how uh, companies like SpaceX have changed the cost of space logistics by making rockets reusable. Um, it has been changed by the fact that we can have much smaller satellites in orbit and by our ability to link the space economy to the terrestrial economy. And so we see Axiom Space um, as the future International Space Station at the heart of the, uh, of the space economy. It's the only destination to go to in space alongside the International Space Station. And Axiom will, in the first instance, connect their station to the International Space Station and for a period of time operate in tandem with the International Space Station. So it's a halfway house for the lunar missions, um, which will take place across the next decade, the so-called Artemis missions led by NASA, which um, the British Space Agency, the UK Space Agency is part of. Um, and um, at the same time, we see a whole range of new products and services being launched in space, including cloud computing and cybersecurity, two areas that we are significantly focused on. Fantastic. So that's very, very exciting. Is this something we're going to hear a lot more of uh, in the immediate future, or has it got quite a long gestation period? Um, General No, um, I believe this is something that's going to be front and center um, in um, over the next few decades as we as we um, uh, really begin to take all the knowledge that has been collected because of the telescopes um, that NASA has had in operation over the last two decades which has given us extraordinary knowledge about our own solar system, but also about exoplanets, other solar systems in proximity to us, it's visible to us. Um, and as we begin to um, commercialize all the knowledge that we've gathered from the um, successful missions to Mars and, um, and also the two missions that have left our solar system, um, I think the space economy is going to be front and center in global economic growth. The space economy also has a crucial role to play in our own national security and um, space is the high ground of cyber um, and so um, succeeding in space and maintaining US leadership and the close alliance that the US has with the UK and with Europe and Canada and space and with Australia is crucial for our national security going forward. Yeah, and that, and and that's um, you make that very clear in all of the enterprises you are uh, advancing, including some of the ex excellent um, webinar series that C Five sponsors that we've been privileged to tune into. So no one can say that since you studied strategy at Aberystwyth, your strategic horizons haven't been expanding exponentially. Um, how important is that? Uh, strategic upbringing, that academic strategic upbringing, important to the way you think about um, business as an entrepreneur? It's been hugely beneficial to, to be able to read strategy in Aberystwyth. I know Aberystwyth may sound like an odd place to study strategy because it's quite remote. I used to take a five and a half hour train journey from London to get to Aberystwyth uh, with a stopover in Wolverhampton. So it's quite remote. The, the Woodrow Wilson Chair in, in International Politics was established in Aberystwyth in Wales after the First World War. 
and Professor E.H. Carl, who was the first professor to hold the seat, was very focused on making sure that war doesn't happen again, a war on the scale of the, of the First World War. And that was really at the heart of um, the study of strategy, the academic study of strategy and strategic studies was, how do you prevent wars? How do you bring about stability and security? And I think that ethos really drives me in terms of um, C5 Capital's investment strategy and that drives our team, our investment team and our investors uh, we want to invest in helping to create a more stable and secure future for everyone. Would you say, and we don't want to get in deep into geopolitics here, but inevitably that's a significant dimension and affects the way you develop some of your businesses. Do you feel that in the new administration we have on the other side of the pond, that we have a better chance of coming to some perhaps cooperative, if not collaborative agreements on aspects of the future with nations like China and uh, the Russian Federation? Or would you be less optimistic than that? So I think the Biden administration has picked highly, highly experienced people for their national security team and have also picked really experienced people to deal with, with the cybersecurity areas of responsibility. I think it's really important that all of us work to strengthen alliances, fighting with allies. Uh, what a church will say, there's nothing worse than, than fighting without allies. Fighting with allies is absolutely crucial for our future, strengthening our alliances. And we must not take our alliances for granted. Every generation has to recommit to the alliances that have served our nation so well um, in the past to make sure we build them for the future. And I think that's Something that we're also trying to do in C5 Capital with our investments is to build the, the bridge and the linkage that strengthen alliances that are crucial for the future and also to imagine new alliances. Uh, Japan has a very important role to play as an ally for the future. Unfortunately, I think China is, is bent on changing the international architecture, is bent on dominating the global system and has a different conception of the rule of law that we have for the international system. And I think that is going to be the challenge of our lifetime. So we don't really want to end up on a negative geopolitical note with that sobering thought, which I, I tend to concur with, I'm afraid. Um, let's switch back to leadership and youngsters. Um, you are lots of technical people in your business. They're bright, they're energetic, they're driven. How do they rise to the more general leadership challenges um, outside their sort of technical capability and experience? Is that an issue? Yes, um, I think this is, this is one of the most exciting times possible to become an entrepreneur and to be involved in technology and, and innovation and to be part of, of uh, venture capital. So it's a really exciting time for, for youngsters and for young people to get um, stuck into these areas and to be able to help bring about change, imagine the future, build the future in a way that will really improve people's lives and create new opportunities. And this is the ethos which we try to give to our young leaders in the C5 team is that they can really help to bring about change through the relationships that they are building and through the areas of, um, of work that they're involved in in our firm. So we've got a, an active uh, mentoring program inside our firm for our young leaders. 
We also bring our young leaders together to, for them to think about leadership and to have leadership conversations. We also take their input and their ideas and their advice on how we develop and grow our business very seriously outside of specific, um, much narrower technological questions. And I think that comes back again to my point about inclusivity. I think when we think about inclusivity, that's applicable to, to gender questions. It's uh, applicable to ethnic and racial questions, but it's also very important and applicable to intergenerational questions. I think this, the fact that we must talk on an intergenerational business and listen to each other from an intergenerational perspective is just as important as all the other areas of inclusivity that we need to focus on to succeed and to build sustainable countries and sustainable economies. Andre, unfortunately, we are out of time. So it's been a real pleasure for us to talk with you today. Your your knowledge on cybersecurity, cyber law, cyber crime, cyber everything, I think, is 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 absolutely unparalleled. Your um, energy for the space economy. There's not many of our clients work in the space economy, but hopefully that number will increase in the future. And just your whole view of, of the window into the world of the future is, is really fascinating. It's inspiring. And, and it, you know, when you say to people you can reach for the stars, I think you genuinely do in, in the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Jennifer, thank you very much for the conversation, General. Thank you for the opportunity. And let's all continue to reach for the stars. Thanks for listening. We do hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget that you can find each new episode on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss out. At Amicus, our bread and butter is helping leaders create consistent results by bringing out the best in their people. If you need support with anything we talked about on this episode, you can find out more about us at amicuslimited.com. This podcast has been done in conjunction with Inkblot Creative. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.